Well, good morning. No, half-hearted. Good morning. There we go. I uh, I like a little bit of response, so that's a good thing. I appreciate that. Well, I am glad you are here at Restoration Church today. If I have not met you yet, my name is Pastor Kevin, and I am thankful you are here. I look forward, if I have not met you, to being able to greet you here at the end of the service today, and uh, look forward to that. You know, one of the greatest things about being a dad, one of the greatest things, if you don't know, I've got Last time I checked, there was five kids, my wife and I. So, you know, one of the greatest things about being a dad, for me, is bedtime. It's just one of the precious times that I look forward to as a dad. For uh, a number of years while I was at Madison House, I missed a lot of bedtimes. See, bedtime is, is such a good time for us as a family because it allows, allows me the chance to connect with my kids, to recap how their day went, to pray over them. And one of the things that my kids love to do, and there are days that I just say, no, man, just go to bed. I want the kids in bed so I can relax. But one of the things my kids will do is they'll bring me a book and say, Daddy, read me this book at bedtime. Oh, yeah, all right, let's read this book. So I brought some of my kids' favorite books to show you today. Um, this one is really good. How, how do dinosaurs say goodnight? And a really good book on how dinosaurs say goodnight. That's a fun one. Um, this one, this one is, is one of our favorites. We've had this one for, for a long time. It's called Snuggle Puppy. And actually, it's a song, so you actually have to sing it when you read it. You guys want to, never mind. We aren't going to do that. Good, uh, good story. I mean, there's uh, great stuff. You see the, 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 the puppy, he's making cookies. That's just so realistic. That's what puppies do. They make cookies. Uh, there's another one here. This is a real fun one. Horton Hears a Who. Horton Hears a Who. And uh, again, you know, just very realistic. You know, this just is uh, kind of fairy tale-ish, you know. My daughter, she's got this book of princess, uh, princess stories. And, and, but this is one of my favorites. This is one of my favorites. This is one I read when I was a kid. And it says, Where the Wild Things Are. Yeah, anybody, anybody remember this one from childhood? Where the Wild Things Are. This is good stuff here. And uh, this goes back, you know, our oldest is 11, so we've had these books 11 years. Uh, reading with your child is just such a, a, a cool thing. But the reason I mention these stories is because we're getting ready to start a new series on the book of Jonah. And oftentimes, Jonah becomes categorized with these kinds of books here. These are children's stories. I mean, think about it. When was the last time that you read the book of Jonah when it wasn't Jonah and the big fish as another children's story? The question is, is there a difference between Jonah and where the wild things are? Well, Jonah is so often given a great disservice by getting dismissed, either as a fairy tale or as a parable. Or we sometimes dismiss the book of Jonah because we're so familiar with it. If you're, uh, we're so familiar with the story, thanks to if you're an older, older person in here, you remember the felt figurines of Jonah and the whale? Or for the rest of us, you remember Veggie Tales? It's become such a familiar story to us. And so it's easy to not take this book seriously because at least when you look, it's hard for us to look beyond the great fish, the big fish. And this dumb fish tends to get all the attention. Well, the book really isn't about a fish at all. The book really isn't about a guy and a fish. It's really about God and us. So today is our first of seven weeks as we go through the book of Jonah. Jonah is a short book. It's only four chapters long, 48 verses, and just over 
1,300 words. And uh, so if you have a Bible, if you want to find the book of Jonah, it should be in the, about the middle of your Bible. Um, it's one of the last books of the Old Testament. My Bible has it on page 774. I don't know where yours is going to be. If you're looking at your Bible and say, I don't know where Jonah is, there's a really cool thing on the first couple pages of your book. It's called the Table of Contents. So you're welcome to uh, look through there, and it'll tell you exactly what page Jonah starts on. Um, so just so you know where we're going to be going this morning through the book of Jonah, uh, we're going to answer four questions. Two of these questions really lays a foundation as to why are we studying Jonah? And, and is this book reliable? And then we're going to look, and we're going to get through the whole first two verses of this book of the Bible. We're going to get through the first two, two, books of, two verses of Jonah. Uh, then we'll get out of here and get ready to picnic. Amen? All right. So uh, I'm going to read Jonah chapter 1. If you need a Bible and you don't have one, um, there's an usher in the back. If you just want to slip your hand up, we would love to get that into your hands. Uh, let that be a gift to you. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And that is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we just are so excited to be able to come into your house today with your people, that we can come and worship your great name. Lord, we, we are so thankful for the opportunity to open up your word, to be able to look at the story of Jonah and Lord, I pray that we would see Jonah as being more than just a fairy tale, more than just a children's story. But Lord, I pray that you would use this book to change lives. Lord, I pray that even today your spirit would be with us and your spirit would, would bring us into a deeper relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you allow us to have ears to hear and hearts to understand. And we ask this in your perfect name. Amen. So we're going to start out today and I'm going to answer the question of why Jonah? I mean, there are 66 books of the Bible. Why are we going to start out with Jonah? You see, a lot of people dismiss the Bible because they don't understand it, or they think the Bible is just simply irrelevant. And what I appreciate most about, uh, most about the Bible is the fact that it is very real. You see, if I were God, and I were creating a religion, there are a number of stories in the Bible that I would leave out. A number of stories that just don't put the greatest picture on God's people. And Jonah is definitely one of those stories. Is this story is a story of a real feelings of a real prophet who was really ticked off at God. And so this is one of the reasons when I approach the Bible, I can find the Bible trustworthy. Because I appreciate that God, God doesn't just glorify his people. God doesn't just tell all the good stuff that happens. No, God gets into the net and grit and the dirt of people's lives. And we can find that in God's word, which is great. It's not just one of these things where God just wants us to have all these good stories that makes us feel good. No, God deals with real issues, real people, and real problems. And one of the things that we have to understand about Jonah is it's much more than a whale of a tale. Yes, absolutely. It's a great story with all kinds of surprise twists and turns. You'll, we'll read about ships caught in a storm. We'll read about a great fish and a whole city coming to God. And then there's this crazy magic plant. And have you ever heard the expression, it's a whale of a tail? It comes from this book of Jonah. But what we need to do is we need to realize that it's not about the fish. 
The story is not about the fish. And it's not even primarily about Jonah. See, if you go through all four chapters, you'll find that the fish is only mentioned four times. Only four times do we see the fish mentioned in this book. This is the great city of Nineveh. You only find Nineveh Nineveh mentioned nine times in this book. What about Jonah? Jonah, you only find mentioned 18 times in this book. But you know who's mentioned 38 times? God. God is mentioned 38 times. So this book isn't primarily about a dude in the belly of a great fish. This book is about God. And at the same time, besides being a great story, the doctrine and the theology of this book is just so rich and full. See, this book grapples with some of the most difficult questions, theological questions about who God is that we can ask. It covers the theme of God's sovereignty. The idea that God has the whole world under his control, which is evidenced by the storm, the fish, and the casting of lots that were all under God's control. Additionally, we'll learn about the theme of God's desire to use humans to accomplish his purposes. The God who controls the universe chooses to work through people like Jonah and you and me to accomplish his will. Another theme of the book of Jonah is just a goldmine, and that is to understand how amazingly compassionate God is. How much grace and mercy he extends. Numbers describes God's character this way. It says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And we will get to see God's mercy and grace extended to a bunch of sailors in a boat, to the whole city of Nineveh, and even to Jonah himself. So what I love about this book is it really puts God on display and who God is. If we've ever had the wrestling of a question of, God, who are you? God, I want to know who you are. You really see who God is through this book. Many have mistakenly looked at this book as being a book about Jonah, and we're supposed to learn this moral lesson from him. But really, the book's more about God and what he does. It's not so much a biography of Jonah, but more of a theography of of God. Then most of all, as to why are we studying Jonah? Because Jonah points to Jesus in a totally unique and powerful way. Jesus himself talked about the book of Jonah and said it was the one sign that proved that he was real. And what he came to do was real. See, the book of Jonah, even though it documents something that happens around 800 B.C., we learn that from God's perspective, this was setting the stage for something greater that God had planned to, to happen when Jesus came to the earth, when he came to live, to die, and to rise again. It is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Jesus. And finally, the last reason as to why we are going to study Jonah is this. See, if we were to summarize the book of Jonah and take Jonah's name out of the story, it would sound something like this. It's not like God speaks. Man hears and understands. Man knows that God will do what he says he will do. But man does the opposite to try and overpower God's will. Man quickly realizes that he is in trouble and he will not, but still will not admit that he is wrong. Man is taken to the lowest depths where he repents. Then man, with very little effort, does what God said initially, but now very smelly. Man sees God do what he said he would do, 
Then man pouts because God did not do it his way. God speaks and puts man into his place. You see, the thing with Jonah is, is we could easily replace Jonah's name with our own. And it would sound like a very familiar story. You see, the truth is, is that we are just like Jonah. We are Jonah. A Jewish custom during the, the great holiday of Yom Kippur, which is their, uh, their, their greatest celebration, greatest holiday they observe. Uh, it's a time that they're able to repent for the past years over the sins that they've done and confess that before God. One of the things they do in one of their services is they read the entire book of Jonah out loud. Four chapters of the book of Jonah. And, and in response to the reading of the book of Jonah, the congregation responds with, We are Jonah. We are Jonah. I am Jonah. Why don't you say that with me? Say, I am Jonah. I am Jonah. Say it again. I am Jonah. You and I, we are just like Jonah. And this book digs deep and gets under our skin and will challenge our attitudes and our intentions. Now you're sitting there saying, well, uh, you know, I've never been on a ship to Tarshish. But the reality is we have all been on our own ship to Tarshish at one time or another. We all know what it means to run the other way from God and his word. And we all know how creative God can be when he wants to bring us back to where we ought to be. Now, see, if we're honest, we don't want to be Jonah. We don't want to say, I am a Jonah. We want to be the hero. Am I right? We want to be a hero in our Christian walk. And so what we do, because we want to be the hero, we want to look good, is we pretend. And we pretend all the time. You know, heroes, heroes don't show weakness. Heroes are never afraid. Heroes are always courageous. And so we pretend to be that heroic Christian who listens to God every time he speaks. We pretend to be that church guy that has it all together, that never struggles with junk in our lives, that memorizes huge sections of scripture, and does everything that God says all of the time. <laughs> and we're pretty good at making ourselves the hero and making God a supporting character. We, we would say that our lives play out like this. We would say it's the story of Kevin's life, also starring Jesus Christ as personal Savior. But you see, let's be real. We are not the hero. We are just like Jonah. We are Jonah. We are somebody that God uses despite our imperfections. We are someone through whom God is glorified even though we continually disobey, even though we turn and run our own way. We are Jonah. We are someone that God saves even though we put ourselves in situations that resulted from not listening to him in the first place. And we are Jonah because we are someone that God still loves. So what is relevant for us in Jonah? Everything. Everything. Because we are just like him. And if you stick with us throughout this series, I promise you that you will not be disappointed. This is a powerful and amazing book. And I fully believe that if you commit to being here and to taking part of this, it will change your life. So let's move on. The, the other question that we need to, to address in the foundation for Jonah is, how do we know that Jonah is true and isn't just a whale of a tale? Just a, a fairy tale. You see, there's a lot of doubt and skepticism about the, 
the story of Jonah for a number of reasons. Most obviously, this huge fish that swallows Jonah, and he is kept alive in there for three days, and then he gets spits up on dry land. It just sounds too fantastic. And then you have the whole city of Nineveh repenting and coming to God, which just doesn't sound very likely. Sounds too unlikely. And then at the end of the story, there's this crazy plant that springs up one day and kind of like a jack and a beanstalk type of plant. Grows up really big, really fast. Gets big enough to cover an entire full-grown man to give him shade. And then the next day, it shrivels up and it disappears. So come on. How do we know that this is not just a fairy tale? And what, if any reason, do we have to know that this book is true? Point number two for us is how can we know this book is true? Basically, here what we're dealing with isn't so much, so, isn't so much a question as to whether or not this is a fairy tale or whether or not there's a such thing as miracles. You see, fairy tales claim to be fairy tales. They start out with this amazing line, once upon a time, and things like this. But this book doesn't start out with, 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 a, with a fairy tale starting. It starts out with a truth claim. You, you see, in, in, in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. This is not a fairy tale, but the true and trustworthy word of the Lord. But what it really comes down to isn't necessarily is this book true or not, but whether or not we believe in miracles. We need to recognize that miracles are all over the Bible. So if you've got a problem with miracles, you're going to find that almost anywhere you turn in the Bible, there's going to be miracles. But here's the thing. The Bible is a book about God, and God is presented in the Bible as the one who created everything in the beginning. And is all-powerful, and he never stops being so. So how can we know that this book is reliable? Because God is our all-powerful creator. So basically, if there is actually a God, then there's nothing that he cannot do. If God is powerful enough to create everything out of nothing, then there's nothing that he cannot do. Miracles are not too hard for him. He can exercise his supernatural strength and authority anytime he chooses because he's God. So if there's a God, then everything the book of Jonah says happened is entirely possible within the bounds of logic and reason by understanding who God is. And so if somebody denies what can only be considered a miracle relative to the fish story, they can't just stop there. If the creator of the universe cannot manage to keep one of his creations alive inside of another creation, then we have little hope for the fact that he can actually heal the sick. That he can give sight to the blind. That he can walk on the water. That he can raise the dead. So the question is not necessarily, do you believe that Jonah is true? The question is, do you believe that God does miracles? Do you believe that God has that kind of power to do miracles? One other reason I I believe this book is a book we can trust is in Matthew 12 and, and Luke 11, Jesus talks about the stories in Jonah and treats them as being completely true and factual. You see, here's the point. Was Jesus wrong? Was he deluded or was he lying? I don't know about you, but I don't feel too comfortable telling Jesus that he's crazy. Doesn't seem like a good argument. So we know that this book is reliable because Jesus believed and taught that it was. 
Let's move on. Let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Point number three for us today is, who is Jonah? Who is this guy? First and foremost, we need to understand that Jonah was a prophet in Israel under the reign of Jeroboam. Now a prophet is someone in the Old Testament who spoke for God. Often they were called a seer, and he would speak the vision that God gave him, and he thus became God's spokesman to God's people and to the world. He spoke with the authority of God, meaning that his words were God's words. He is the mouth by which God speaks to men, and therefore what the prophet says is not of man, but of God. So we know that Jonah was a prophet. Now, other than when Jesus talks about Jonah, there's only one other place in the Bible where Jonah is mentioned, and that's in 2 Kings chapter 14. And there's some important stuff for us to understand who Jonah is by reading through this passage. So 2 2 Kings chapter 14, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Uh, It shouldn't be on the screen. It's not on the screen, so uh, just listen. I'll, I'll read verses 23 through 27. And it says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bound or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. See, this passage is huge for us to understand who Jonah is. Here is what is happening. During the time of the previous king in Israel, things were really bad. If you read through 2 Kings chapter 13, you hear just how bad the king of Assyria repeatedly oppresses and tortures Israel, making them like dust. The Assyrians brutally attacked Jonah's homeland. Now, the Assyrians had gained a wide reputation for their disgusting war practices. (laughs) When their armies captured a city or a country, unspeakable atrocities would occur. Things like skinning people alive decapitation, mutilation, ripping out tongues, making a pyramid of human heads, piercing the chin with a rope and forcing prisoners to live in kennels like dogs. And ancient records show that Assyria Assyria boasted this kind of cruelty as a badge of courage and honor to say how big and powerful and mighty Assyria was. So what happens in the story after the killings? God shows up and gives Jonah a message for the king of Israel. He is to restore the border and push the Assyrians out. And sure enough, the king listens to Jonah, and that exact thing happens. The border is restored, the Assyrians are pushed out, and Israel is relieved from the torture of Assyria. Jonah is the one whom God had tell the king to do it. See, Jonah became a national hero in Israel. He prophesied it would happen, his people were delivered, and his key role gets recorded in God's word for us. 
being that this was such a national issue, there's no doubt that Jonah would have been honored and became well-known in Israel for his role in the situation. This is the first thing about Jonah that the Bible tells us, is that he brought a message of deliverance and salvation from God to the people of God during a time when they were in bitter affliction. So the way, as I picture who Jonah is, the way I picture him, is I picture him kind of a hero of sorts in Israel. He's patriotic towards his country, and he's obedient to God. It became God's mouthpiece to Israel during this time. So Jonah is a prophet, and he is a national hero in Israel. But it's amazing how one sentence can change somebody's life. How you can be driving down the road and get one phone call that changes your life forever. In a good way or a bad way. Either way, your life can be turned upside down by one sentence. Life can turn on a dime. And that's exactly what happens to Jonah when God spoke to him. Look at verse 2. God speaking to Jonah. He says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Now, as we have learned the background on Jonah, I have to say that we have an awesomely unpredictable God. See, asking Jonah to go to Nineveh would be like asking some Christian leader to drop everything and go into the capital city of an Islamic world that views Christianity as a threat and to tell them that they are evil and they need to repent. That is a big request, but that is just how God works. I mean, you look at stories all throughout the Bible. You look at Noah. I know it's never rained before, but Noah, I want you to build a boat. Abraham, I know that you've waited for the sun forever, but I want you to kill your son. Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. You know the place where you are wanted for murder? And I want you to tell the most powerful man alive to let your people go. Mary, I know you're a virgin and you're engaged to be married, but you're going to have a baby, and he'll be the son of God. Ananias, yeah, I know that Saul is killing Christians, but I want you to go, and I want you to pray with him. You see, we have an awesome and unpredictable God, and that's just the way he works. And can you guess where Nineveh is? Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, the most powerful empire in the world in that day. And note what Jonah was to do. It says that he was to go and to preach against it. Don't mistake preaching against it with God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. This isn't just your best life now. This is bad news from Almighty God. And for a Jewish man to be told by God to go to preach to Nineveh, this was a heinous idea. This was, as far as Jonah was concerned, Nineveh could go go straight to hell. Go ahead, Lord, push the button. Open the trap door. Let him fall straight down to the pit. That's the way that Jonah, the national hero, the prophet of God, that's the way he would have felt to the people that have tormented his people. So this is Jonah's calling. God chose Jonah to go and do his bidding in Nineveh. And we'll continue next week and study Jonah's response we we'll want to bring this to a close by trying to relate Jonah's calling to our calling today. See, every one of us has been called by God with a special responsibility. 
Our special responsibility is to share the message of repentance and forgiveness with an entire world. We are called to his mission and not ours. God calls us to his mission, which means that he may take us to places that he wants to go, where he is working, not always where we want or what we want to do. Even as you look in the life of Restoration Church, I know some of you a year ago would have said, I never would have pictured myself being a part of a church plant, going downtown and, and planting a church in Yakima, Washington. But you know what? When we understand God's call in our life, we follow him with that message wherever he sends us. So let me ask you this question. Where is your Nineveh? Nineveh is a place that pulls you out of your comfort zone. Nineveh is a people that you don't want to show God's love to. That you don't think deserve God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. Nineveh is a people who have hurt you deeply, probably repeatedly. But God calls you to love them anyways with the same mercy and grace that God has extended to you. Your Nineveh is not necessarily the worst place that you can imagine going. It's the place that God has asked you to go that you don't want to go. It is the people that you don't want to love. Maybe it's the guy next door who plays his music too loud in the middle of the night. Maybe it's the gay and lesbian community that you feel is a threat to what you believe. Maybe it's the poor guy in the corner who is going to squander all the money that he earns throughout the day. Maybe it's the rich guy who has it all and uses people to gain more. Maybe it is the person who has hurt you deeply. These are the ones that we should love. But we are Jonah. We only want to show love to those that we want to. We want to show love to the people that we feel comfortable and safe around. See, God loves all people, not just the ones that we love. God wants to expend, extend grace and mercy and salvation and forgiveness to all people, not just the people that we deem worthy. Through Jonah, we hear God's warning about limiting, limiting our love and our sympathies only to some of our fellow human beings and excluding others from our pity and our compassion. After all, hasn't God extended us mercy and grace when we were undeserving? So where is your Nineveh? Who are the people that God is calling you and telling you to share this message of love and grace when you don't want to do it? They don't deserve it. They've hurt you. They, they've violated you. They've, they've become a threat to what you believe. That's your Nineveh. That is where God is calling us. As the worship team comes up, we're going to have an opportunity this morning to respond to God's word.